Please stand for a reading from the Holy Gospel. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Each year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went up according to festival custom. After they had completed its days as they were returning, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Thinking that he was in the caravan, they journeyed for a day and looked for him among their relatives and acquaintances. But not finding him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and age and grace before God and man. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Hope everyone had a very nice day today, nice afternoon. We had some beautiful weather. Um, tonight, well, we'll follow uh, the 3 o'clock. It was hoping to um, reflect on our Blessed Mother and her role in the passion of her son. Um, this is a very interesting tonight, the, the gospel passage that I had been thinking about. And it really has to do with the most, I've never really understood this, a joyful mystery. It's the fifth joyful mystery, finding Jesus. Now, finding Jesus is a good thing, right? It's a joyful thing. But so much of this story, there's not a lot of joy in it, you know? And so it's funny that we find in this uh, part of our joyful mysteries what John Paul II calls this this uh, mystery of our Lord's life a second, uh, in a way, a second enunciation or so. But the reason I wanted to use this uh, story tonight is again to kind of mine the Immaculate Heart of our Blessed Mother, uh, to see what's, what was in her heart. We get little descriptives, huh? A little bit, we, we learn about her prayer life. Obviously, her heart was pierced by the sword. Incredible sadness there. Here we, we see some descriptors that Luke uses. And remember, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel he, he says, hail, full of grace. We went into that last night a little bit. The Lord is with you. Um, what is this next thing he says? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, we know what St. Paul says, that perfect love casts out fear, right? But if Mary was to continue to be without fear in, in, the, in the sense of a passion, passions are neutral, all right, they, they aid us, they can rule us. So if you go outside and you see a king cobra 
right, on the bench, don't sit next to it. Run away, right? Now, it doesn't mean that you're without perfect love, okay? You probably are not with perfect love, but it's not, it has to do with the king cobra is a scary looking thing, okay? Stay away from the king cobra, all right? So, in the sense that there could have been the passion of fear in Our Lady, why Gabriel says, "Don't, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Here we have in some more descriptors in, in this that you can imagine now for all of you mothers there, you lost your, your son. You're only, so where did he go, right? What is that going to elicit within you that is completely unselfish and not sinful, right? It's going to elicit, where did he go? Worry. Where is he? Right? A, a searching for him. And we get a little glimpse into that of our Blessed Mother. It was after three days. Right? It's after three days they're looking for him. And it says that they were astonished when they saw him. Well, that can, can mean a few different things there. But the really, the, the one is, she says, Son, why did you do this to us? Now, that's like a good Jewish mother putting a little guilt trip on there, right? Why did you do this to us? Can it be, can it that be a prayer of ours to God? I mean, Jesus is God. God, why did you do this to me? Or why did you allow this in my life? It's not a bad prayer. Son, why did you do... There's something going on in our Blessed Mother of, of why... Did, and I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. But then she says herself, your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. Now... We all have our, our anxiety issues, every single one of us, right? We all deal with anxiety. What this really is talking about, this word, is a very strong Greek word, which, which means to, it would be the same as mourning the loss, uh, mourning a dead person. That's what this word is. It's very, very strong that Luke is using here. Can't you tell that we were, we were so anxious, we were like mourning that you had died, Right, and uh, of course Jesus gives this response. It's a very mysterious passage, and um, my my purpose in just introducing this is that Luke gives us descriptors, of course, of fear, of anxiety, and an, an incredible anxiety at that, and looking for Jesus. Right, probably a, a sorrow in there. Aren't these? Part of our journey and our spiritual life too, brothers and sisters. Isn't it true that? You could think this, that, you know, um, I'm going along pretty good in my spiritual life, my prayer life, and all of a sudden one of these things happens, right? Where's God? Or why did you do this to me? And we can often think, I did something wrong, or I did something to deserve this. God is not happy with me, right? Or where are you, God? And, and what it can be is God withdrawing his consolation presence that we feel his sensible presence, that uh, that we that we enjoy, we enjoy God's presence. He can withdraw that. You think, well, I must have done something wrong to make God angry with me. Where are you, God? What's going on? So, can it true be true that one day I'm so in love with God, praise be Jesus Christ, and the next day I'm down in the dumps? Now, what just happened, right? What exactly just happened? And this is what we call in the spiritual life, consolation, desolation. All right, without getting into too much 
Ignatian principles because this is a Franciscan operation, okay? Uh, I may give you a, 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 a Jesuit joke tomorrow, but I'm going to save it for tomorrow because our Lord's here in the altar, okay? We'll get to that tomorrow morning. But without getting too much into the Ignatian principles, you know, St. Ignatius noticed this, that in life, depending on, sometimes on our decisions, depending on the workings of the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit, these things come into our life, consolation and desolation. And we just kind of expect, well, if everything's going well for my spiritual life, I should have consolation. I'm entitled to it, God. I've been going to Mass every Sunday. I pray 12 rosaries a day. Where's my consolation? And it can be just the opposite. Let me read something for you. Okay. Uh, Name the saint. Okay, you ready? Name the saint. They say people in hell suffer eternal pain uh, because of the loss of God. In my soul, I shouldn't have told you it was a saint. In my soul, I feel the terrible pain of the loss of God not wanting me. Of God not being God of God not really existing. That terrible longing keeps growing, and I feel as if something will break in me one day. Heaven from every side is closed. Pray for me that I may not turn a Judas to Jesus in this painful darkness. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. One of the greatest saints, right, of, the, of all time, certainly, the 20th century. Here's the greatest saint of modern times. God permitted my soul to be invaded by the thickness and darkness, and that's the thought of heaven up until now, which was so sweet to me, is no longer, is now a cause of struggle and torment. The trial um, was not to last just a few weeks, but a few years. Sisters, you know these are these are the, these are heavy. These are not uh, minor league baseball players here. All right, this is the big leagues. These are great, great saints, and I could give you many more examples. Um, God allows this. He allowed it for Our Lady. You know, probably after Our Lord, of course, more than any other person in the history of the world, a darkness. Uh, a painful darkness, Our Lady. But unlike uh, us sinners, Our Lady, it's uh, the Catechism says, her faith was never adulterated by doubt. It never wavered. It never. It didn't mean that she everything was rosy and she had consolations every day. Probably just the opposite. Probably just the opposite. She experienced a, probably an incredible darkness in her immaculate heart. But her faith never wavered. As uh, Father Apostle was saying on the, on the tape, you know, about the Fatima prayer, I believe, I adore, I trust, or hope, I love you. The believing in, in Greek, in, in New Testament theology, believing, the gift of faith, or faith itself, the virtue of faith, it's the same word for the virtue of trust. Do we really trust God. You know, oftentimes I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be in the confessional and someone will come in 
and they'll be they'll be hysterical, pulling their hair out, talking about political things. Right? What's going on in Washington? Or you know, we could have been Obama, this Hillary, this Trump, that. Right? And it sounds like they just watched. Uh, 49 hours straight of CNN or Fox News, okay? Uh, that's what it sounds like to me. Oh, they did this, and they did that, you know? And then I will just say, I'll just be listening, okay, okay. At least I get my news that way, you know? And uh, it's a good way to get your news in the confessional. And um, I said, but do you really trust in God? I mean, is God bigger than the presidency and the Supreme Court? But can't we read that news and just get so discouraged? It's really discouraging, the news. It sometimes can bring us to despair. I know my parents said, we can't do it anymore. We're not watching it, you know, because they felt that as Ignatius of Loyola felt when he dwelt on things of the world, albeit in a different, a different situation, felt the spirit of sadness come over him, right? Do we really trust in God, um, for our lives. Generally, uh, you know, anxiety can be an issue, but anxiety, it can be caused by so many things. But I think the gift of faith, what God wants of us, you know, in consolation, but certainly in desolation, to make acts of faith. Jesus, I don't know where you are, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust in you. You see, it's easy when you see Jesus face to face, not that I have, and if you have, keep it to yourself, but if you see Jesus face to face, right? Oh, Jesus, of course, I trust in you, right? It's much harder um, to make that act of faith. And he said that about to Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Mary was saying, you know, Elizabeth said, you know, blessed is she who believed, you know, in the promises that God made that would be fulfilled. I often like to hold that against Jesus. All right, Lord, now listen. I didn't say it. You said it, right? You promised X, Y, and Z, all right? Now, you promised you're going to go away and you're going to come back for us. You're going to create a place for us in your Father's house. You're going to come back for us that where you are, you made that promise. I'm going to hold you to it. And I, and I love that. I think that's like a real act of faith, a prayer to Jesus. Um, I trust in you, and I trust in what you said for my life, right? Not that, and far from it, that we are ever going to live a Job-less life here. Probably just the contrary. If you're in the business of discipleship with Jesus, St. Peter says, get ready, all right, for some tough trials, Get ready for some persecution. What was Therese? She had a beautiful image about this, even in amidst the darkness. And she imagined this, that she was a little bird. All right, now you have the, now you're in Nebraska, so you know all about this, right? These dark green and black clouds start rolling over, right? And you're like, uh-oh, here we go, right? And you, you can't see any sun, and you can't see anything, and it's just dark, And she likened this whole experience of the darkness, that periods of darkness that we go in in our life, as being a little bird just looking up, right? When's that sun going to come through? And here comes the wind, comes a little hail, here comes hopefully not a tornado, but just some rain, right? And the bird continually looks up there. She says she's like the little bird, right? Just waiting, knowing that the storm will pass, 
One day that storm is going to pass, and she trusted in Jesus. There's a reason this storm came into my life, the storm of darkness. One day it will pass. Therese really trusted in Jesus, as Our Lady did as well. Here is what Mother Teresa, how she responds to that, that really powerful quote. And this is just, this is how you can tell someone's in the major leagues, all right, of sanctity. She says um, about her painful darkness, you know, why do I have this? But she says, if my pain and suffering, my darkness and separation, uh, give a drop of consolation to you, Jesus, do with me as you wish. If my separation from you, uh, albeit it's a felt uh, separation, brings others to you, I'm willing with all my heart to suffer all that I suffer. Your happiness is all that I want. I've begun to love my darkness. That's Major League Baseball right there, everybody. I've begun to love my darkness, for I believe now that it's a small, a very small part of Jesus' darkness and pain on the earth. That's Major League Baseball right there. Mother Teresa acknowledging this incredible darkness, but still, in a way, accepting it as part of God's plan for her life. We tried, I know, I, I try to run away from it, try to find a consolation in anything, a chili dog down, down at 7-Eleven, I don't know, find any kind of consolation to take the interior pain away. But what it is, is, uh, you know, spiritual writers will say, God, God is an artist, and he knows the consolations to bring into our life and when to take them away with desolation as a means to help us to grow. You see, God doesn't want a relationship with us just because it makes us feel good. Right? Can you imagine you parents with the kids? Right? Uh, you, you don't want your kids, kids just to love you because it may, because they feel good or they get stuff. What's going to end up happening in the long run? Right? You know, Jesus knew that in John 6. That's why they came. They wanted to make him king. Why? Because he was able to multiply all this food for everybody. Well, let's make him king. We'll have easy street the rest of our life. He says, I'm getting out of here, right? And I am not going to be a bread king. I'll leave you with a story that, that really it's, um, illustrates um, the darkness of someone's life in terms of faith and someone's act of faith, but against all odds. So... Um, the servant of God, Catherine Doherty's. I'm a big fan of hers. And she has a, a wonderful book called Not Without Parables. Some of her stories. She was a baroness. Her family were aristocrats in Russia. They had to get out during the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. She has amazing stories while in Russia. And she ends up getting over to uh, New York City, to Canada, and she begins... Uh, a movement called Madonna House. She wrote a number of books, uh, began in its initial stages as a, a friendship house where they would, in a way, live in a, a religious community, Catholic. She brought a lot of Orthodox, uh, Eastern, Eastern Christian spirituality with her. And they would take care of the poor, but they lived very simply and very poorly. She loved St. Francis. 
they lived very poor. So I'm going to tell you a story that she uh, narrate a story that she wrote about one time uh, that what happened in uh, the winter in Ontario. It was all not Toronto, but uh, out in the sticks, where they had a friendship house, and they had, they called it uh, St. Christopher's Inn. They had about a hundred people that they would take care of. Kind of just people who were transient people, kind of mo- moving on, and um, they would travel and they'd stay for a while. And uh, Catherine would beg for food, and they would house them. And uh, but back then they had just one coal furnace, which kind of uh, heated the whole house, heated the ovens, made the you know the lunch and the dinner and everything. Well, she said it was a particularly brutal winter in Ontario that that winter. And she said that uh, their uh, coal stove, uh, I'm going to read a little bit here in a second, the coal stove was just eating the coal. It was just had a voracious appetite. It was so cold out, right? And at any rate, she was sitting there. They were having lunch, if you will, with a hundred or so, she says, guests uh, of Friendship House. And the cook comes out of the kitchen. Now, he should have said this a little bit in private. She wasn't too happy. But he says, Catherine, where everybody could hear. Catherine, the, uh, we only have enough coal, all right, to make dinner. Uh, that's it. Then we're out. She says, we have no more coal. He says, that's it. We just have enough coal for four more hours. Like t- It was midday. It'd get them to 4 p.m. Now, that would be bad for them sleeping as well at night, but they wouldn't be able to have their dinner. So uh, um, it'd be in his below zero outside. She says, no more. And now everybody heard this. So she says, well, I guess we should say a prayer, huh? So she gets on her knees, and the cook, who wasn't, he wasn't uh, religious at all, he got on his knees, and then everybody got on their knees. She says, it didn't matter who believed in what, right? They were going to get down and pray for coal, right? Because they wanted to be warm and have dinner. That's very practical, right? So everyone's down there. She says they do the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be. She says, and she says, I stated our needs to the Holy Spirit, the Father of the poor. I added a short reminder to Mary, his spouse, about the deadline of four o'clock. So she's like, okay, Blessed Mother, now four o'clock's the deadline. Don't miss, don't, don't, you know, we don't want to miss out on that, that time there. And then she, and then she said, while they were kneeling down, one man, now this is the 50s, all right? Uh, one man started to laugh at everyone. There was 100 people kneeling down. And one man started to laugh at everybody. All right? And she said, this guy was a communist. And then he went on this tirade. Now, they're praying. And he went on this tirade. You're praying to nobody. And religion's the opium of the people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And so, um, any rate, he heard Catherine say 4 o'clock to the Blessed Mother. So he says, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, he let them say, finish their prayers. They get up. He says, I'm going to stick around to 4 o'clock just to prove to all of you that all of this superstition is not true. There is no God, et cetera, et cetera. So now Catherine is like, oh, boy. <laughs> they said, now I hope this thing works out here. Okay, so. 
She says, our communist friend, he wouldn't leave, you know. And he, see, he kept saying that, you know, the deity did not exist. He was going to be there for 4 o'clock, you know. And then he was high time to cure all of the people of their foolishness. All right. So now he also said to Catherine, now I'm going to be keeping an eye on you that you don't make a phone call to somebody to ask for a favor to get a truckload of coal in here. So I'm going to be sitting right over here looking at you for the next four hours, right? So the communist is looking at her at her desk, you know. And so, uh, at any rate, so um, she says, the ticking of our old wall clock, (laughs) tick-tock, tick-tock, could be heard like the voice of doom, all right, everyone went back to their work, you know, but all she hears is tick-tock. She's watching the minute hand go around, you know, from 12 o'clock. And so, at any rate, she says, uh, she says, had I been too presumptuous? Had I overstepped the bounds in showing my inner certainty that God and Our Lady would hear our simple prayer and answer it before 4 o'clock? Could one do that, set a time limit on God's providence? Round and round these thoughts went on in my head. Very interesting, huh? Very, very interesting. So, um, slowly at first, then faster with great intensity, I started to make acts of faith. So now it's 2 o'clock, right? So now, okay, Jesus, I promise you, I'll do 8 million novenas if you bring that coal in by 4 o'clock, right? So at any rate, so it was like 2 o'clock. She says 3 o'clock, 3.20. The last of the coal went into the uh, Quebec, into the heater. The range was cold. The kitchen was beginning to be cold. The cook closed up the kitchen door. 3.37, a quarter to 4 for uh, ten minutes to, the communists laughed and started to harangue the silent, morose crowd of men, because everyone's, of course, there, you know. He says, she says, my heart felt heavy, my soul was darkened. Of course, I had been presumptuous. Five minutes to four, three minutes to four, <laughs> one minute to four, the front door opened with a bang, she says. A dirty-faced man with a, a paper in his hand stamped off the snow and inquired if this was Friendship House. He said he had orders to deliver a ton of coal. Would someone look sharp and help him put it, uh, show him where he had to put the coal? The old clock struck four. And she says, never had its hoarse, wizened old voice made such music in my ears, all right? She says, no one moved, and the coal, the coal uh, driver thought that everyone was looking at him like they'd seen a ghost, you know? So the coal was in, the silent communist and I sat and looked at one another. <laughs> he got up and went to the crucifix shook his fist and says, Nazarene, you win again. Right? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So this is how the story closes. She says, not long ago, I received an invitation to an ordination for a priesthood. 
I could not go because it was too far away and would have cost too much to travel there. But I was there in spirit. The occasion was the ordination of the man who did not believe that God could send coal to his tired and freezing children in a Toronto slum. The communist ends up being a priest. Isn't that amazing? I, love, I do love that story, and I don't know if I've, I've told it here before, but um, for me, uh, the saints like Catherine Doherty, uh, they never stop trusting and they never stop believing. Now, it's a little bit different than, I trust God, you're going to help me win that lottery, right? Uh, as Cardinal Dolan says, his mother loves the rosary, has a great devotion. She has it right over her lottery ticket, you know? Uh, no, this is not what we're talking about. But we're talking about the mission of the church. and We're talking about our vocation. And that we need to trust within what God has called us to do, within our, our own calling, our own vocation. Make acts of faith. God loves that. He loves it. He's not saying go pick up the, uh, the, uh, the cobra on the bench. He's not saying that, all right? But within your vocation, make acts of faith. Step out. Take risks, you know. Oftentimes, isn't it, we, we get confined in our comfortability, Right in our in our own security, God loves. As a matter of fact, where does Jesus praise in the highest regard people in the New Testament? The Syrophoenician woman and the Roman centurion. Never have I seen faith like this in Israel. He God loves to see faith, and and Jesus gets angry. How does Jesus get angry? He does not get ang angry, in the New Testament at least, with sins of the flesh. You know what he gets angry at? When people don't trust him. And they don't put their faith in him. One man came, remember, and his son was possessed by an evil spirit. And he says, Master or teacher, if help my son. He's, he's possessed by an evil spirit, throws him in the water, throws him in the fire. If you can do something, do it. And Jesus says, you know what he says? If I can. I mean, what kind of request is that, right? If I can. Do you remember in the Gospel of Mark? Different from John. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus appears to the twelve in the upper room. And he upbraids their hardness of heart for not believing Mary Magdalene. Their lack of faith. Brothers and sisters, this is in a way what... What hurts God the most, if you can hurt God, I don't think you can hurt God, but you know what I'm saying, right? That God loves, that's why he loves children. They just, they trust him. They make acts of faith. This is what it, like, it means to become childlike. I trust in the Lord. He is sovereign over my life. He knows the day that I will die. He knows how many days left I have on this earth. He knows what will happen in those days, right? He, um, he knows everything about me. And if I allow him, he'll do great things. And he'll do, even if I don't allow him, he'll do great things in my life. God is a good God, and we need to make acts of faith. Even like Mother Teresa and Padre Pio, St. Francis lived in incredible darkness. Our Blessed Lady, St. Joseph... And you know what it says right here in the Gospel of Luke? 
They did not understand. That's what Luke says about Mary and Joseph. They didn't understand. I don't know what's going on, Lord, in my life. I don't know what you're doing. It's okay. But you, I make an act of faith in you. I trust in you, Lord. And I surrender my life to you. God, with God, nothing is impossible. God has called us this, this way. He's got us this far. And trusting in him, he'll get us the rest of the way. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta, pray for us. Saint Therese of Lisieux, and Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.